Hi everyone, it's Chris Lasarenko from Revolutions Per Movie. The show is a completely independent affair, so if you feel like supporting the show, the best way is to go over to patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie, where in exchange for your support, you can get weekly bonus Revolution Per Movie episodes, stickers, membership cards, upcoming guests include Anne Magnuson of Bong Water, Bob Burt of Sonic Youth and Pussy Galore, Jerry Casali of Devo, and Homer Flynn of The Cryptid Corporation, representing the band The Residents. So please consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the show. My guest today is the incredible Chalky. Chalky is a Los Angeles-based solo artist known for his unique brand of lo-fi, bass-heavy, electro-funk punk, and insane live shows, often featuring dancing Frankensteins, mummies, and sexy vampires. He has opened up for Berlin, Shannon and the Clams, the Space Lady Flipper Schlong, the Mutants Captured by Robots, Weird Paul, and has even turned with the likes of Bob Log 3 and Elvez the Mexican Elvis. He has a very shiny cape, and he refers to himself as a fat Mexican Jewish version of Prince. Yeah. So it is my extreme pleasure to welcome to Planet Earth and Revolutions Per Movie, the one and only Chalky. Hi, Chalky. Hi, Chris. It is such a pleasure to be here and to see you and to talk to you. I am so excited. I just wanted to say we met in L.A. when you were hosting your Hollywood punk rock graveyard tour. It's one of the best times I've ever had in Los Angeles. You were so knowledgeable and you tailored it to our interests and our desires. In the show notes, I'll put put where you can, you know, get a hold of Chalky and sign up for this tour, but when did you start doing it? And how how did you get to know everything about all these legends? Thanks for asking, and that was such a fun day for me as well. Um, I, uh, I fancy myself a tour guide a little bit, uh, just because I have a personal interest in, in this stuff. Um, I've started off working with Atlas Obscura, the publishing company, and they, they were looking for a guy to do a, a Disneyland tour and who knew a lot about Disneyland. So I was like, oh, well, I could do that. And I did, and it was, it was quite successful. So I was into it. I moved, uh, I'm from LA, and I moved back here in 2020 in the in the beginning of pandemic, and everything was closed. Um, and the graveyard wasn't, or sorry, the cemetery. I just, a graveyard, a graveyard is attached to a church. A cemetery is just a freestanding thing, even though there is a church at Hollywood forever. So, um, and uh, I needed some money. I took the traditional tour at Hollywood Forever uh, Cemetery here in Los Angeles, and and I liked it, but it was a long. It was like three and a half hours long. It's huge. That place is massive. It's huge place. It's dense, and it was mostly stars of silent film and and directors and and producers of silent film, and and uh, which is fine. It's just cool. It's history. But it wasn't the history I really wanted to focus in on. I was hoping to see some rock and rollers that I knew were there, right? And and the that that tour is fantastic. The 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 woman that does that tour, Carrie Bible, she's a genius. But uh, I thought that I could maybe create a tour from more of a, a music point of view, 
and because that's what I know. That's what I could talk about. And that's what I wanted to see, you know. So I just put it together and um, I said, OK, well, if we go here, we could hit Dick Dale and then we could walk by Ema yeah. Sumac and then we could see Tomato do plenty from Screamers. And and then I, I tailored it so we could walk through and then you end up at Johnny Ramone where everyone knows what that is. But no one knows where Tomato do plenty is. You know what I mean? So I, I, I said I could figure this out and make it interesting. And uh, so, yeah, I started the Hollywood Punk Rock Graveyard Tour. And um, it's been fun. I love doing it. And I'd still do it uh, as a side thing because I, I truly just love doing it and walking around that beautiful place. And yeah, thank you so much for taking it. That was a real fun day for me. Oh, it was amazing. And we got to see where Roz from Christian Death. Um, what, what do you call it? They're, it, it? The little cubicles where you can look in and they those have... Are called, those are called niches. Okay. And I love niches. You know, when you when you pick a final resting place you could be buried in the ground you could um be in a wall which is a crypt area uh in a mausoleum or they have these little windows where you could put your urn your ashes and tell a little story about yourself and we call those niches and the building we saw Roz in is called a columbarium which is the proper word for a building that houses one's ashes columbarium cool name right yeah and also people would like they'd leave kiss marks on it through lipstick and leave little notes it was very uh people were very passionate also you tailored it i had heard um from listening to uh, rubenesque the best show uh podcast where they're talking about rick rubin they had talked about the tombstone of deaf jam deaf jam yeah, the word it was with the word deaf. Now, yeah, uh, Russell Simmons and 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 Rick Rubin split out. Russell Simmons got Deaf Jam, and 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 Rick Rubin started Deaf American. And then he wanted to have a funeral for the word deaf. We had, we don't I don't want to have this word ever in the English lexicon again. So they had a giant funeral. Johnny Cash was there. Slayer was there. The Chili Peppers were there, and uh, everyone had a big party. And it's still there. It was like in '92, I think. And that stupid grave is still there, that cemetery headstone. I tell people it's the stupidest headstone in Los Angeles. I it is, so and I, I, you can, <laughs> you can, you can step on it, and it wobbles. It's like yeah, so, I want to open it up, yeah, because <laughs> it's just all records, right? CDs and stuff was what they. It's all, it's now. all nineteen nineties American deaf American records promo material. So there's probably like some really cool <laughs> Slayer headshots in there. Um, my friend, uh, Brad Laner, who was in the band medicine, sent me pictures from the funeral and yeah, you could see in the coffin, it's like a bunch of like, it's a bunch of promo material, beastie boys stuff. I'm like, I gotta get in there. I could sell that stuff on Etsy. I know nowadays <laughs> if somebody did it, it wouldn't even move the needle for like 15 seconds. People are like, oh, oh. okay. Yeah. They just glance over it and be like, oh, what okay, would be that's... the equivalent today of Rick Rubin having a giant publicity funeral in a. Hollywood Cemetery with a bunch of rock stars, like maybe like Machine Gun Machine Gun Kelly or something. Like I don't know, you know, <laughs> social influencer being buried alive or something. Oh you know? yeah, you know, That's with it. a camera inside. I don't know. I just, I, I, it's it. I have no idea. But I just, I just thought it was such an amazing tour. And you and you sometimes you do it with Elvez. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. Elvez is is uh, his uh, real identity is Robert Lopez who is the founder of the band, The Zeros, when he was 14 years old. They called them, you know, the Mexican Ramones, like the first yeah. Mexican punk band. 
and he was he's in um uh he he was like a first generation la punk too he's in that band catholic discipline that's in uh All right, decline he, he, He's featured in Decline, like him and yeah. Frank are in that movie, Frank with a P. And so he's like, he knows all those people who are dead there. He has great stories about them. He worked with them. He was the Screamers roadie for forever. Like oh he did. any, he, Yeah. So, uh, you know, he knows the remote like so he's he's and he's funny. And so he'll he'll do the tour uh, with me sometimes. And, and that's a blast. That's a total joy. That's like a super extra bonus. So it is extra money. <laughs> well, you know, this is all. <laughs> nice and well-meaning, but I have to say, I, I watched this Guar documentary. I've never seen such a disgusting, foul, negative, violent display. I have children, and I don't understand why does it have to be so violent. I'm worried about kids who don't have a mind like my child who won't be able to understand this. My kid came back from a Guar concert thinking it was okay to to condone violence. And okay, Tipper Guar, calm down. This film is a disgrace. Calm down. <laughs> um, Guar were the kings and queens of reality TV uh, back then in terms of interviews. Yes. They were on Jerry Springer, Wally George, um, Joan Rivers. And I just got obsessed watching those, just going down a rabbit hole of the questions and the the people were so upset. They'd bring their 14-year-old Gwar fan onto the stage and the mother would sit next to them and would be like, explain it to me. How am I supposed to raise my kid? And uh, Gwar are fucking funny. Dave Brocky were... is so good at interviews, especially back then when he was, yes. like, he, he was, he was hungry for the fame. Dave Brocky, who is the lead singer, Odorous Arungus is such a charismatic funny motherfucker that once once he was on Sally Jesse Raphael or Joan Rivers all the rest of the producers were like we got to get this guy on you know what i mean he was too he was too quick he was so funny and so fast he knew which audience he was playing to so if it was a donahue kind of thing they could tame it but still push the buttons he's not coming out on those shows with the, you know, cuttlefish of Cthulhu, you know, it's like it's been neutered. You know, and when I was a, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, you're you're bringing me back to when because I was around watching. I was watching Jerry Springer every day. I was watching Wally George every day after school. I So <laughs> I know I was I'm well, you know, I knew every, every episode I watched. And when Gigi was on, you know, even as a little kid, I'm like, oh, shit, this is dangerous and this is real, you know, and then Guar would come on and they would try to treat that Guar with the same equivalency and with danger as <laughs> Gigi Allen. But even as right. a little kid, I knew it's like, oh, this is different. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I had that element of professional wrestling. And then they bring on a G they bring bring on a Gigi fan. And you're like, oh, shit, this young woman is fucking brainwashed. And then they'd bring on like a young Guar fan. It's like, oh, this is just like a dork. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a, a, a crowd of dorks and it probably still is. Absolutely. Oh, 100 percent. Because I grew up in in the 80s with PMRC, uh, Zappa and D. Snyder and John Denver having to go to Washington to plead their case. And, you know, the fears of backwards masking and, you know, censorship and, you know, Wasp album covers. And that's quite a few years before Gwar starts making a dent on it. So, so it's kind of 
amazing that they're still having to push against, you know, well, push or maybe play into the world that they know is going to, they know they're going to upset parents. You know, they know that they're, uh, that somebody's going to take it the wrong way because on these reality shows, the majority of the parents, they get one, one over, but at first they're really upset about why are you doing this? Why is it so violent? But Dave is so, he's kind of eloquent in his character and he spells it out. He's like, the world is a horrible place. We're just part of it. Like we're saving it. You know, there's wars and there's hunger and there's, you know, unemployment. And where do we fit into it? You know, we're just we're just giving people what they want, what they see every day. As a character, he says that. Yeah, he's very smart. Yeah, he's a very smart and eloquent, well-spoken man. And when you watch the show, what I mean by the I mean by the Guar's live show, at least while he was alive. It was commentary on on modern society and media and paparazzi and and overexposure and you know and he, it was it was commentary on all that. Like I remember going to a concert where they threw Paris Hilton into the meat grinder and then a paparazzi <laughs> who was taking her picture like tripped into it afterwards. You know, yeah. And like that's pretty it's pretty smart stuff going on there. You know what I mean? It's and and a kid, a fourteen year old kid, won't that will go over their head. They're just like ha 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 people dying and getting ground up but it was he was commenting on media you know it was amazing <laughs> yes yeah and slime mestra is a great character yeah you know and i i mean the basically the mantra for them is the world needs guar you know to show you why the world sucks mm -hmm. this toilet earth as we say so where did you first hear or see guar great question i, I think probably no, I knew about them before Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I think word of mouth because I was into metal and and, and stuff. I, I'm I'm 43, so I was like 90, 91, 92, 93 is 11, 12, 13 for me. Right when I'm getting into Dead Kennedys, I'm getting into you know metal, everything like metal, punk, underground stuff. I'm I'm hungry for it. I my knowledge for it. And Guar was touring like crazy, and in school, like I remember kids coming back the next day with white shirts that were just like stained red like older kids like seniors and stuff wow and people were like whoa what is that oh man you got to go see guar make sure you wear a white shirt that's what everyone always said make sure you wear a white shirt so um my first concert wasn't for later i i think it must have been like jerry springer is the first time i saw them that's amazing to think I about know, right is that crazy <laughs> your introduction to a to a band i know right isn't that is crazy <laughs> jerry springer yeah, i know I know it's crazy, and um, and so they were on my radar definitely. Everything on Metal okay. Blade was on my radar because I would buy a record and you'd have the catalog, right? And then you see the that cover, you're like, what are what are these costumes? So who you were, who were you listening to back then? Okay, Dead Kennedys were my number one forever. Like that was okay. the first band I fell truly in love with and obsessed over. And as you do when you're a kid, you draw their logo on everything. And then, you know, um, then I got into like Devo and, and electronic stuff later on. But but Dead Kennedys, Bad Brains, Black Flag, and then uh, Death Metal, Morbid Angel, uh, Death, Cannibal Corpse, and all the rest, which Guar fits really nicely in between 
that world of punk and death metal like gross stuff about guts and killing and then like you know fast riffs and hardcore riffs and stuff like that um so so i eventually saw them at the age of 14 at the hollywood palladium and 1994 and it was everything i wished for i and i thought and i knew of uh that i wanted to see it was it was uh they were killing the pope on stage and putting it through a giant butthole and meat grinder and i went with a white shirt like i was advised to and i came back with it completely drenched um and but then older people were like oh that's not the real blood you should have seen them back in the day when there was real blood and it was like not, not real blood but it was like goopy blood i was like the white food coloring or um the red listen food kid yeah listen I, I like them when they're they're old shit like come on give me a break it's guar but they kind of have always been there for me in a way that like Elvis or the Beatles. Incredible. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Guar is just always. So I've never not like in a, in the same way Elvis or the Beatles are. They're just like, am I a fan? Yeah, of course I am. Because I know all that stuff really well and intimate. It's just been around my whole life. But I've never thought of myself as like a giant fan of Guar or not a fan of Guar. And I definitely haven't followed the albums and. You know, I I don't know. I can't tell you all the deep cuts. So that's kind of why I wanted to do this, because I kind of wanted to check in with them. And I, I, I wouldn't seek out this movie on my own unless, you know, I had a reason to. But I'm glad I did. Um, and, you know, I hate I hate music documentaries. Chris, <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, music documentaries are mostly <laughs> terrible. And I'll tell you why. It's because in, when it's a band you love bands you love evoke some sort of magic uh with their music and that you can't recapture that magic cinematically it's very 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 rare uh and and i hate the the format that we've fallen into with just people talking heads getting celebrities to talk about a band these uh unfortunate unnecessary animated sequences that are get thrown into everything and the most recent uh offender is the sparks movie which sure. i hated with the passion I love Sparks and nothing in that movie made me feel the way listening to Sparks music makes me feel. You know what I mean? I totally understand that. And that was a perfect case of talking head syndrome where all it was was people telling you how much they love Sparks, what it meant to them when they first discovered it. But you're like. Let the music and the visual, they were so visual and they were so yeah, weird. Yeah, and there's no, there's barely any live footage. And that's like, if you want something to speak for itself, right. show a whole fucking song live from a, their, their best tour. Um, and we could talk about how I feel kind of the same way about this movie, how that missed the mark here too. Uh, but I, there are some movies, docs that I love, of course. Heartworn Highway was one you mentioned before that I think is very important. I love, I, there's one about Canadian heavy metal uh, god Thor. Uh, John Michael Thor. Oh, that's amazing. I love that one. It's like very good, you know. And and so sometimes these little documentaries could they 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 could transcend the genre and and actually make you feel something. And uh, so anyway, this is a difficult genre for me. So I'm you know I just want to put I want to state that right away. Well, you know, having the video store for 22 years, I it it was what I played in the store mostly because I wanted to hear music and I wanted to share things with people that maybe people weren't aware of, you know, since I didn't have a record store and I couldn't be record store clerk, it was my own geeky way of people being like, what is this? I would put on films and like a Dr. Feelgood 
live <laughs> That's pro- concert, right? Yeah. And people had no context and they would just stand there for 20 minutes watching this thing. I also, documentaries meant a lot to me because for a long time, there were about scenes I missed out on, like dance craze, not being able to see the specials or yeah. Madness or English Speed or The Selector or, um, you know, Decline. Uh, it was a way for me to just see something in, in, in motion versus reading stuff in Trouser Press or Slash. So I've always had a soft spot for it. But the problem is sometimes in your lifetime, there'll only be one chance to tell the story of Sparks, right? Yes. And it's frustrating when it's done poorly because you're like, when is, there's never going to be another Sparks documentary. There just isn't. Yeah, same thing. I was so disappointed with the Big Star documentary. Like It evokes none of that magic at all. Um, and everything you mentioned that was special to you while you were wa- working in that video store were all live concerts. See, this is what's most important, I think, in a music doc. Archival footage. And that's why Get Back is the best movie ever made because it's all archival footage. You know, that's yeah, fantastic. And uh, live footage, live footage, because when are you going to that's when a band is at its most powerful when they're live. Right. Um, so, yeah. And then I love as a, being a musician, I love process stuff. Right. Like, oh, here's how we recorded this thing. That's why the British show classic albums is like the greatest show of all time. Right. Yeah, it's an amazing show. <laughs> yeah. It's It's a great show because you can totally not care about a band and get completely won over by the documentary every episode their process yeah <laughs> every episode like, is a good one it's amazing yeah and it's really diverse in terms of who they're talking to the joshua tree one you can see brian eno in there you can see daniel lanois being pretentious as hell and it's all fascinating i love the deep purple one where they're I like i haven't and seen then that one <laughs> they, they were recording we're recording in an old castle and so we're we have the the mobile unit outside and we'd record then we'd have to run out get on a outside of a window walk on a ledge go down a hallway down the stairs to hear playback then we'd have to run back and do the exact same thing to get in just funny stories about them making these things and they're just super scrappy so so uh, thank you for letting me get this rant out about the the genre itself again i want to give shout outs to the people that that, that make killer music docs because it's a very difficult feat. And th- things like Krulix heavy metal parking lot will always be one of the greatest things ever made yes. because it's not, it's different. And Dev- devil and Daniel Johnson by Furzig, yes. you know, and, and um, uh, the Sil Johnson movie, like these are, these are things that stand out and they're different. And so filmmakers listening to me and Chris speak right now, take note. Thank you. That's all I wanted to say back to Guar. No, go ahead. <laughs> Well, I think one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast was have people pick things that resonate with them. And the majority of the the picks that people have chosen are not things I expect them to pick. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it because there are things that people have seen or that just it, it resonates and it's just a part of them. And so what's interesting about this war film is I didn't know it existed. First of all, it was made for uh shutter, the horror movie uh, streaming channel. And it is one of the most 
antagonistic music documentaries I've ever seen in terms of people really not um, there's just a lot of a hatred in the band towards other members and a lot of members who felt emotionally slighted in terms of their relationship and the amount of hard work they put in. And I appreciated that they were very um, upfront and it wasn't um, watered down in terms of how somebody felt about somebody, um, especially a band that's had, you know, multitudes of band members. But I, I'm with you. I wish there it it didn't quite capture the magic that is going to a Guar show. There wasn't enough live footage. There's tons of live footage, but it was all for 10 seconds, five seconds. It didn't show any process of recording. I want to know more about the costumes, you know, the characters. And that was the stuff that was missing for me. Exactly. And I'm with you on yes. that. I, I wanted to see more process stuff instead of just like, we did it. And then we did this and we did that. You know, um, I, 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 I definitely, uh, I, I like I I couldn't. They had huge songs on 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 MTV when I was growing up on Headbangers Ball and like singles and I couldn't. I watched after watching this. I don't think one you can name one of the one of their songs at all. You know what I mean? There's <laughs> there's so much going on with Guar. There's so much to talk about. You know, this was a band when I first saw them in the late '80s. They were they were on Shimmy Disc. They were on an art rock label with like Bong Water and Ween and Shockabilly. So the context of Guar for everyone who went to it was here's this art collective making fun of heavy metal because in 88, 89, you know, the majority of us were like, we don't like heavy metal. We don't like heavy metal. The people who listen to it, they don't like us. We stay away. Yeah. It hadn't it hadn't crossed over yet as it did, you know, uh, a few years later. But it was just a fun, weird show. The dwarves opened and Guar wow. went on afterwards. And it was Wild. just performance art. It was like a performance art art collective. I don't remember anything about any of the songs. I I I just remember Sleazy coming out and you know the grinder and all this stuff. And then it was over and people were just talking about it forever. But it felt like one of those things that was not built to last. It was a moment. It was part of a, you know, the transgressive 80s music scene where you would have really strange, disruptive things come to your town like Carolina Rainbow or Crash Worship or yeah, or or <laughs> Joanna Wett. Right. You know. Yeah. And it felt like it was part of that same same language and it seemed like less of a band. So I was always amazed and impressed that they were able to take this thing and just build on it and become kind of a, a machine. Yeah. Like an organization. I, yeah, I would, I would put Guar in the same camp as the residents as Carolina. And what I mean by that is, an art, it's a big art collective of these people that are all in a warehouse that make crazy shit and go out and put a show on. And that's rare. You know, there's not a lot of that. And uh, I, I can't compete. There's there's nothing like Guar, right? There's nothing like Carolina. There's nothing like the residents. But they, they all have that same kind of like, they're all kind of like, hey, we're going to work outside of the art world and make our own world. Um, but 
that's interesting. It, and it did kind of this movie kind of went into like, look, there reached a point where Dave Brocky was like, I want to be a rock star. I want this to be real. So it's so funny. Thank you for that context of, yeah, these guys are on shimmy disc. We're making fun of metal. They eventually come and actually become a metal band, right? Which is is kind of silly and maybe goes against the ethos of the original Guar idea. Well, how does their music stand up compared to other metal bands? I think the the Scum Dogs of the Universe album um, and a couple albums after that are so good musically. Not just metal, like the riffs are sick. It's there's punk songs, there's ska songs, there's jazz songs. It's musically very good. I don't think Guar would work if it wasn't uh, for music. The music being is as well performed and written as it is. Like it would just, it would just, it would be like the Jim Rose freak show circus that was around for a while. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why they're still around is because Odorous was a great singer and a great, like one of the best frontmen ever. And the guitars are always good. And that drummer, who I never knew about the drummer before. He was my favorite guy in the movie. He's amazing. He's so old and he's still playing drums for them and he's doing double ba- death metal bass and all or, or drums and everything. The, 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 the drumming is great <laughs> in, the, in the band. And I never realized they've had, he's the same drummer they've always had. He's, he's the constant that I learned that in this movie. That guy's awesome. Yeah, he was great. Anytime a new member came in, they started getting members that were already from pre-existing metal bands and right. all of a sudden he was having to learn a new type of metal and yeah. a new type of playing and a, a new way of thinking about drums and he just seemed like it was always evolving for him out of anyone like he was just being thrown stuff and all of a sudden being like okay now I'm having to learn this type of British metal okay now I'm having to learn this type of thrash metal so impressive and I yeah I was very impressed by the drummer and the, the the longtime guitar player who his name was Dirks. And I was just very impressed with how how they've kept this thing together for so long. And don't do you think it's like, I don't know, these guys are kind of relatable, right? Because they're like they've been in they're like they're like lifer players, you know. They have had hard times and low times in the music business. Uh they're they're of a certain age. I don't know. I just found them really relatable, like all the all the dudes in the Guar organization. Since the band started in Richmond as kind of a a concept by uh, Hunter Jackson, who was uh, a frustrated art student who wanted to do more cartoon kind of work and found that the college world really looked down on what he was doing. Like they were high highbrow. He was lowbrow. And he just wanted to make films. He started making these special effects. And Dave Brockie, who was in a band called Death Piggy, basically wanted to use it. He's like, can can we put this stuff on? Can you build us some stuff? Can we do a show? And ever since that first time, that first show, it has been a total push and pull between Hunter and Dave in terms of whose band is this? Who's leading this? Who's directing our videos? Where are we going? What are the storylines? And yeah. they were so different. And Hunter Jackson it's obviously super upset and very bitter. Um, you know, even when Dave dies, you know, at 50 from an accidental heroin overdose, he is cold. He, is he like, says, I hated the guy. I didn't go to his funeral. I hated the guy. Yeah, it's great. It's, and he says that on camera. 
yeah i don't know i i cried during that i was like oh man that really really like man you guys should be friends what's going on it was very intense for me <laughs> yeah but see does the film work if you're crying at that point it's yeah, not the it first listen we're not going to get a guar seven part series we're not going to get a guar get back and it's amazing that they do they do have a lot of archival footage they recorded everything so that's good and you get to see a lot of behind the scenes footage from the old days and stuff one of the things i did was i as somebody who is not familiar with their films or music i went and also watched Fallis in Wonderland from 1992, oh, you which did. is the, <laughs> the Grammy nominated. Yes, that is an amazing story. They <laughs> somehow get nominated for uh, a Grammy for long form video format. And they they were so out of place. And I guess the people at the Grammys, once they realized that they kind of made a mistake, were pretty upset that they were going to be coming to this award ceremony so they told them don't wear your outfits get dressed up but of course they walk the carpet as guar which was amazing and they're, they're kicked out basically and they come back in, in suits beefcake the mighty was harassing chaka khan so they got kicked out <laughs> but that phallus in wonderland are, are you familiar with that did you have that I me and my friends watch that shit all the time. Yeah. Were, were you just teenagers? <laughs> that was right. That was right when I was that was I was the perfect age for that to come out. I was 13 when that came out. Beavis and Butthead had that was yeah, that was that time. You know what I mean? Was that at that point for your 13 year old mind, like one of the most or the most subversive thing you'd seen at that point? Because it is relentless in terms yeah, of, totally. of the visual content the anti-religion the i yeah i was told it was it was amazing to me like even even as a kid i knew that like this is like it had to take so much work to make this thing you know what i mean but also you don't i don't you, I, I, I didn't think that they were just punk rockers that were doing this all in a warehouse in richmond virginia i thought that they were had mtv money or something you know what i mean like i i thought that they were like professional like like people like, I didn't think about, like, where they, they come from, who they were. Guar was just always anonymous to me. I, that's why I think, you know, it's that's evil for the the Grammy, uh, the Academy to to say, don't come in your costumes. That's like saying the residents don't come in your costumes. Right. They're, they can't can't demask them. You know what I mean? And how great would it be to sweep <laughs> the camera across the crowd? And there they are. <laughs> See those aliens? I know. But but they were they were always they were always those crazy characters to me. And I thought it was like the Muppets or something, you know, but yes, Phallus in Wonderland was something we watched over and over again on weekends. Smoking bad weed is as a teenager. Totally. Gibby from the butthole surfers uh, plays Fritz, the director in it. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and it, it, it seems like they're still trying to figure out how to make movies at this point, because a lot of the gore and uh, action is really they're like moving the camera constantly zooming in and out so it's really hard to get a grasp on like whose intestines are being pulled out of kind of a trauma feel but don't, don't isn't don't you think their their aesthetic and it must be you know what hunter originally establishes their aesthetic and and their costumes and stuff it's so cool it's so singular it's it's nothing else there's nothing else like the way their shit looks you know what i mean did you know, like, the Guar mythology? Yes. Why they're baked the way they are? 
I didn't know the names of the real dudes. I didn't know the musicians, but I knew. Oh, that's Beefcake. That's Balzac. That's Odorous. <laughs> that they're from Antarctica. They're here to destroy Earth. They hate. They hate the human race. I knew all that for sure. I know Slymenstra. Uh, yeah. Yes, I knew their mythology and the characters, like the Muppets. You know. Did you see the? film they made afterwards skullhead face i never saw skullhead face I, I that was new to me i don't know why it should i don't know why it wasn't on my radar it seems like the one to watch though after seeing this documentary so i'm looking forward to it phallus in wonderland is more successful at the pure spirit of guar the interesting thing about skullhead face is it looks amazing they sh they had a they shot it on 35 millimeter and they thought it was going to be a midnight movie they were going to get distribution and it would play in theaters and that never happened um, but they just got a big budget but it doesn't add up in terms of a very enjoyable watch because the chaos is kind of far away where where Faust in wonderland is like it's just like yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a sit, it's like film like a sitcom or something. So everything's up close, and you can you know you could really see stuff happening in Fallout of Wonderland. It's interesting. They Guar should have had a midnight movie, you know. Residents should have finished Vileness Fats. Uh, it could have been it, both like it, both of these things. It could have. I'd hate to say missed opportunity because both acts are right where they should be. But I, it's 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 interesting that Guar had said we're going to make a midnight movie, and they failed somehow because they're the perfect entity to do such a thing. Um, but you watched it, huh? You sat there. Oh yeah, yeah, they're Amazing. both available online and I'll put I'll put links to it online um, cool. in the show notes so people can watch it. It is, um, if you're easily offended, you know, it's not gonna be for you, but it is uh, really a perfect summation of 90s culture, you know, skater, backwards baseball, post grunge, <laughs> MTV, Beavis and Butthead, Jackass, just stupidity. And but they're so proud in it. They they are not trying to make it high art. They love it being just goofy and stupid. They use sound effects from cartoons. So if something violent happens, it'll be like you know, it's it's just very they they're having fun with it. And the a lot of it, you mentioned sitcoms, a lot of the scenes have a traditional sitcom fade out where a yes. scene ends <laughs> that's really disturbing and then it fades to black for a couple of seconds and then they'll have a fake commercial. And they did that really well. And it, it has an unease to it that does, you know, you talked about vileness fats and the resident stuff. It had that thing where when I was younger and I saw that stuff, like Third Reich and Roll, I was just like, I don't even know where to begin with this. It was it was almost too much. Yeah, I, I saw the, the one-minute movies very young on Night Flight because we had cable. And I would say that it changed my life for sure. Like, it just made me feel like like nothing else felt. And I've always been chasing that ever since I, I've been looking, you know, for film or music. Like, I've always been chasing that feeling when I was a little kid and I sat and I watched that those Residence movies. For the first time when I was a little kid, and um, Guar doesn't take me there, but it takes me to a different place. <laughs> was there a time where you moved away from Guar, or is it... I grew I grew out of it. I grew out of I grew out of Guar, but I've seen them countless. So I would say probably by age of sixteen, seventeen, I'm like I'm Wayne. I'm I'm an art. I'm an art 
rock kid now or whatever, right? So, <laughs> but I would always catch them if they were in town every couple years. So I've seen Guar probably four or five times, six times. Um, and it's all because I always knew it was going to be a great night out, you know, of music. And I love seeing that's what I do. I go see live music. I don't really do anything else. Maybe I'll go in an art gallery once in a while. Um, and uh, <laughs> I had my own podcast uh, for a long time. It was, was it was kind of like a heavy metal comedy kind of thing because heavy metal is very funny and a lot, there's a lot to poke fun at there. And uh, I got to interview Guar. This was probably 2012. And um, we got interviewed or we got opportunity to go backstage and interview Dave Brocky in character and hang out with the costumes and try on the costumes and stuff. So that was really cool. But that was I was in my late 20s by that time. And um, just using the opera, you know, er, I, I just had a po I had a podcast just so I could go interview these people. You know, that was the whole reason. <laughs> right. Right. Just an excuse. And so that was really cool. And that um, that brought me back. And I'm like, oh, man, I really love these guys. I really love this music. I really love what they're doing. But I never knew the whole story and I always wanted to. So this was the one, like you said, there's only one. You get one chance to tell the spark story. This is it. This is the one chance they're going to get to have tell the Guar story. Guar, now that Dave Brachiodorus Arungus has passed away, their stock has, I'd hate to say it, their stock has dropped. You know what I mean? Now they're they're just going to be on the festival circuit until I don't think it's going to go on forever. It might, but I don't think it is. Uh it's still going strong right now. They just did a wonderful Tiny Desk concert like two weeks ago. I saw that. And that was great. <laughs> it was great. Um, and they're 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 very positive now, and I'm sure they're making good money on tour. But but no one's going to be asking for a Guar documentary again. So what did you did you think that this was this was a good telling the one time they get to tell it once? Do you think it was a good? They did an okay job. I'm mixed. I mean, there were some things. The nice thing about the documentary is the through line with Guar, even though it's very complicated with members coming and going and, you know, people being, you know, shot and people, you know, dying and the labels coming and going and, and distribution deals being falling away. The one thing I didn't really get from it was how they make their music. Yeah, me, me too. I, I had the exact same thought. But who ends up being the stars of this movie, which is an interesting choice. I think it was a choice. It's the guys who are around the band, who the slaves that make the show go happen yes. and that build and, and that sculpt the sculptures and the monsters and stuff. Those are the guys who 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 kind of end up being the most together talking heads in the movie, I think, and tell they're able to tell their story, you know, the, the most coherent, co coherently and concisely. And so that's interesting. And and so it kind of is a movie about art in a way and not art like how how powerful is art it's like the practicality of how to build art and make it make your what's in your head come to fruition and make it a reality i i think that's kind of what it's about it's like using your hands craftsmanship artistship to make a show happen so that's yes. kind of what it's about for me instead of the with the music and i wish it was about the music more <laughs> yeah the the footage of them in the workshop is is fantastic and i feel like it's a little guarded i feel like they're not wanting to give away too many secrets they don't really show this is how we make it they're just showing bits and bobs of things being completed but it is just a few people who just put their nose to the grindstone and cranked out all this amazing stuff and 
they're starting to get into animatronics. They're figuring out ways to expand the gore and the goo on stage in more sophisticated ways and the magic tricks that are happening on on stage in terms of people being devoured and disappearing and you know a, a monster being split in half and walking around the stage in two different parts oh that was amazing so that monster. <laughs> incredible and yeah incredible i just love that these people who are kind of pushed out of the art world just were like we're into comic books horror movies science fiction movies this is what we want to do yeah it's it's really about hunter and dave too just yeah. these two forces that just can't get on the same page but th- there's no way that that dave would have done this if he hadn't been around hunter and seen him building this stuff for a movie and being like that is amazing on the inverse and uh, you don't even have to say it but i'm going to say it like hunter's creations would have never reached as many people as they did if it wasn't for the the charis- the char- charisma and musicianship of Dave Brocky, who is, True. I truly believe he's a genius and one of the funniest guys. He's, he's, he's if Gigi Allen was super duper duper funny and smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get to him because. Oh, I want to, hold on. I'm so sorry. One, one thing I yeah. do want to say is one thing they do, they do reveal to us in the movie is that all the blood when they spew all the blood which is like so it's like the insane clown posse and fago is they're just constantly spewing blood at you is they have to find the hose line in every venue and connect their their blood uh pressurized blood to the hoses in the venue which is crazy that's insane every venue yeah you know what i mean they said sometimes they have to line they have to rig it up all the way to the back of the house at the to the bar amazing anyway that's I just too much to... it's it, it is <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> the thing about the they call them the art slaves kind of the people who are building mm-hmm. this stuff the slaves, yeah, yeah they they were so into it they weren't the people who were getting the glory but they were so excited to just be able to set the stuff make sure it works get everything ready locked and loaded for them to do their show yeah, Dave, Dave is the the Kermit, and then these guys are the 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 Fozzie Bear and the you know and the Scooters and the Gonzos that are just making it all happen around them, and and they get to wear costumes and and, and I don't know they there's they were seen that they were a little bitter about stuff right, yes. but they still love doing it. <laughs> yeah, there was the one person who was really sad that his relationship with Hunter had really fractured, and um, that was really upsetting to him. Hunter started getting really jealous of him climbing through the ranks and it split their relationship. Oh, yeah. And he idolized Hunter and just wanted to make amazing work to kind of impress him um, as a team. Hunter is a difficult guy in, in real life. Some, I have experience in, in, in someone who's met Hunter and Dave. Dave was so likable and so sweet and nice and hunter is very standoffish and difficult you know and i think that's this movie actually conveys that so they do a good job with that <laughs> there's a part where they say um you know all of hunter's lyrics were basically you've taken this away from me i never realized that you know knowing the mythology as a kid watching the the characters and the story play out that this guy techno destructo well, who his character is a guy that wants to take over Guar back from Odorous. Yeah. I mean, that was that was so real and autobiographical. 
that's amazing. And it was so real. It was like very real. And um, I can't believe Dave let it happen. And he allowed that to happen in the show. But I guess to an extent, like his hands were tied. He's like, well, you helped me create this. So I can't, you have, I'm kind of letting you do whatever you want with this character. Yeah. It's very interesting. I never knew any of that. Yeah. That, yeah. That uh, dynamic. So they're on tour in the 90s doing a tour about censorship. And then they get censored and Dave gets arrested. Like 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 Jim Morrison in France or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And he got arrested for wearing. We need to talk about the cuttlefish of Cthulhu. The giant. The giant penis fish that Dave, that Odorous has between his legs. The big cod piece. Just if you Google Guar right now, you'll just see a giant cod piece with a big fish on it. That's the cuttlefish of the of Cthulhu. Yes, and many liquids shoot forth. Um, and <laughs> You said that so poetically. Thank you. Uh, but the cops busted them and they arrested Dave and they had to build another cuttlefish. They never got that back from the police department. But it was so funny. They have all this footage of like Kurt Loader on MTV News going like, Orda Sarungus will be in court uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina next week to face obscenity charges. And it's so serious. Uh, I didn't know that MTV had a relationship with Quar, that they played their videos. Because I, I thought that was just kind of through the lens of Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, it's amazing. I I, 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 I saw my first Guar thing I ever bought was they had a ballad. Like it was a cheesy metal ballad on Headbangers Ball called "The Road Behind." I like that song. <laughs> I that was the first like thing I that song, I, and I I bought the single, and it was yeah, that was my introduction to Guar, pretty much. There's not a lot of full songs in this film, so I I watched some live full concerts, and then I went on online and listened to some playlists people made. I liked the music. I thought it was. Yeah. Awesome. I was kind of shocked. Dude. I expected it to be a little ham-fisted or, or kind of not very accomplished, but it was full on, really well played. The, the The leads are incredible. The drumming is amazing. The vocals are great. They groove hard. There, there, there would. I'm telling you, there wouldn't. It wouldn't work if the songs weren't good. Did you hear Sadama Gogo with the horns and everything? It's so. Oh, was good. that the one that's kind of Scottish? Or is that? Yes, it's and me a kid, a kid, me into Operation Ivy and shit back then. That Guar having this ska song, it was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I enjoyed it. And uh, my wife came in and, and said, oh, I never hear music like this in the house. <laughs> I was like, no. It's... I'm doing research. I'm like, usually it's the fall. I apologize. And, and, you know, you can either listen to the fall today or you can listen to Guar. And you could hear Dave is a really great singer. He's very, he's very versatile with his voice. Ooh, you know? He's, yeah, he's that great. shocked me, too. If you would have put any of these songs on a metal comp and not had the band names on it, I wouldn't have been like, this is a novelty song or this is a joke song. Again, I'm kind of a music first, lyrics later person, so Me I wasn't too. really focusing on on the content, which I'm sure was funny and dumb as hell. But, uh, but I, The Road Behind is very earnest. It's a really catchy song. It's better than most power ballads of the era. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was better than anything Slaughter came out with, for sure. It's like a hundred times better. Light years ahead. Did they touch touch on this in the film that they have a bar now? They it was at the end. Uh, they okay. said, yeah, we have a right. You know, as Dave, Dave was dying, we we were putting together this bar and it's open now. Now, I know people 
who go to uh, I know I know uh, a, a kid in, in particular. I'm thinking of a friend I've known for a long time named Travis, who he is a guar obsessive. He had a he had a podcast called the Guarcast. His tattoos. Oh my! He's a parent, and you know that's a fun. It's another funny thing is a lot of the parents aren't going to be so offended by guar anymore because a lot of parents are people who went to see guar when they were kids. But um, oh, absolutely, he goes to the guar bar all the time, and he just talks. He always talks to me. About, oh my god, they got the best wings. They got the best onion rings. They got <laughs> they got these cocktails. You get them in these guar tiki mugs. He he loves it. So one of these days when I'm in Richmond, Virginia, I'm definitely going to check out the guar bar. Good for them though. It is, yeah. They have things like the Cobb Nobbler as their Cobb Salad. I would love to go to a, a Carolina Rainbow bar. Oh, I would love to go to God. a residence bar. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It seems a place where they can have all their uh, memorabilia up and connect with fans. And have income income coming in as well, yeah. right? Because my music doesn't bring in any money, so it's just... They have to have money. I, these guys deserve something. Yeah, they did not make a lot of money um, do it being in Guar. Some people were frustrated with that and left. It obviously was an expensive show to do on I that level. So many people to pay. Yeah. There's so many people to pay. I don't understand how they do it. Well, it sounds like they barely yeah. did. I mean, I think that, you know, traveling in a school bus and um, sleeping on floor floors early on. But as the show got more elaborate, there's so many set pieces so many things coming and going and i don't know i don't know what the going rate uh in terms of cost per fluid ounce of their blood or their goo <laughs> that's shooting out of everything i don't know you know i i would like to see a, a a metric on that because maybe it's not cheap i mean those just hauling those giant hydraulic tanks around is not cheap um for sure so yeah, it's 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 all that stuff is. But you know, one thing that I don't think it was intentional, but they did show a lot of footage of is rehearsal footage, and um, they showed them out of costume on stage rehearsing. Just as as the talking heads were talking, they would just show this archival footage, and they really were rehearsing. Like I never thought about this. Like you have to like like it's a play, like blocking. Like okay, you have to stand here when this monster come right. out. And then you have to stand here, and if you're going to shoot this side of the audience with blood, and it's very very well uh, rehearsed, which isn't something you think about when you watch the show. No, it's a it's a full on theatrical. Let's put on a show, little rascals. It's, it's it's more ambitious than I think they thought it was going to be. Did you know much about the sideband X cops that they were in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? Because they don't touch on that in the film. Sure. It's it was it was uh, <laughs> it's a very funny concept. It was like, OK, it was, they were supposed to be ex police officers who were like really sexy, kind of like a village people. But it's all all the cops. And it was so it was kind of Guar out of costume. It was the same band members as Guar, but it was more death piggy stuff. So it was more hardcore punk and they were able to tour on a smaller scale shorter songs not a whole show uh dave brocky played guitar in the band so he you know he was able to, to show hey i could play this music because an odorous he as odorous he couldn't and so it was but it, the music is very good it's it's very cool uh i would say it was like the way the moist boys are to wean something like that you know it's like it was like it was like faster heavier uh smaller scale music but i love i love those two x cops records when i was in high school and everyone did every all, all the heshers did 
We all loved it. And what was the the lyrical content on it? It was it, it was it was like they were they were they were like a, a, like we're cops, we're authority. Fuck fuck you. We're gonna <laughs> eat you and have sex with you. <laughs> yeah, I guess they opened for Guar a bit too. They opened for themselves. Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, because I not many bands have done that. <laughs> I know sense. that Dove, the band of love, opened for Devo. Oh right, right, okay. I always I think it's such a cool idea um, to have uh, come out and open for your own band as a totally different entity. Eyelids got to do that. No. It's too it's too hard already. As I had some questions for you though, um, as somebody who loves Guar or, or lived in Guar. Well, I I gotta say, as uh, Chalky, for those who don't know, my solo project is I come out in in a kind of a costume and kind of have a character going on, and I didn't realize how much Guar going to see Guar really does influence me and the world building is something i've always loved the i mean p-funk does the same thing you yes. know p-funk is p-funk and guar have a lot in common to me too um p-funk and guar yeah direct yeah a direct line to your your live performances and music I, totally and i i have a i have blood on stage and stuff in monsters and and you know p-funk also was a huge collective that didn't make any money uh so it's it there's a lot of parallels here that I didn't realize until I watched this movie. And, and maybe I picked this movie subconsciously for a reason, because it does relate to what I do so much. And I not, not on that. I will never be on the scale as Guar artistically and beauty, beautiful uh, aesthetically wise, but in my head, it is, it is just in my DNA. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. Uh, one of my favorite things when I'm online is seeing you ask, Hey, we're, I'm looking for somebody. I'm looking for a Frankenstein. I'm always in need of a Franken dancing Frankenstein. <laughs> I will, will give you uh, drink tickets, whatever it takes, people. So let me know. Yes. So if if you're in the mood to be a dancing Frankenstein with Chalky, it, it seems well worth it. Yeah. And you never know where it's going to lead. There could be some talent scout out there in L.A. just walking by. They might see. A cool Frankenstein, and then you never know. They could be. You could end up on the best show, twenty-four hour stream. You know, which one of my Frankenstein's was, and that now he's forever on that stream. That's for that's amazing. I feel like at the beginning we were quite critical of this film, but I know. <laughs> but I feel true. like we've turned a corner in a way. It's just, I think, a really ambitious project to talk about in under two hours. I think that is what's frustrating about some music documentaries. I learned a lot for somebody who didn't know much about Gwar's history. And I just wonder if maybe it kind of succeeded on that level, not necessarily being an artistic statement in terms of you feeling and resonating what Gwar is, but just telling the story. Yeah. It, it, I, I hate to say it. I, I, I enjoyed it watching every minute of it. For sure. It wasn't a movie I walked away from going like, oh, that sucked. I was like, damn, that was pretty good. I just wish there was more music. I wish there was more process stuff. Yes. And I kind of walk away from it. Like if I didn't know this band and it was just the first time I saw this movie, I'd walk away from it going like, wow, these guys built some really cool costumes. Oh, boy, they really hate each other. And it's a right. bitter, sad story. Right. So so that's kind of a bummer. That being said, it's a, it's a good movie. And I'm glad it exists. I say watch this movie have the context of the history but if you want to experience the magic watch some live footage watch phallus in wonderland 
and even go see them live now, even though it's not odorous singing, it's Blothar, but you'll still get some of that old guar magic for sure. Well, I have a four-part question for you here. Okay. If you could be in guar, what instrument would you play? Okay. I'm perfect. I'm built for Beefcake the Mighty, and I'm a <laughs> bass player. So yes. I'm art. And I could, I could like, if Casey Orr, who is the current Beefcake the Mighty, tomorrow quit the band and guar called me, I would hop on that plane and I'd be the new beefcake and I'd kick ass playing those songs in a week. I would learn them and I would know the set and I'd be really good at it. Um, that being said, I'd love to be a, like a, like, um, like a dick mix style Hawkwind noise, like synth maker in Guar. That'd be, that'd be sick. Yeah. They don't, they've never had that yet. Have they? <laughs> no, no. I'd oh, love to do like, that'd be I'd amazing. Do, I'd do like, like space sounds in Guar. You know what I mean? With the Arp or Moog or something. Okay. Well, let's say that you become this, <laughs> synth player that they've never had you know this okay. mm -hmm. what would your mm -hmm. character's name be okay so i would want something i want it to be like something so guar is from outer well they're, i don't know sometimes they're from outer space sometimes they're from <laughs> antarctica like i never know so their names are let's see beefcake balzac pustulus maximus i for, always forget the drummer's name and then there's odorous and there's blothar so my name would be like, let me think, like, um, like, uh, 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 I'd be Giacomo the Unholy. <laughs> okay, what would your outfit be? It would be like um, a big green, like, like lizard kind of face. Like, there's that guy named Bosk from star wars or the gorn from from star trek it would be okay. based on the based on that with the giant space helmet like a giant space helmet and then like a sun raw-esque kind of moo moo cape situation okay and what's your backstory uh um i was i was this i was the pilot of the spaceship <laughs> that came to earth that brought guar to earth so i'm like the electronics expert or or, or kind of like the the scotty of the enterprise maybe like the engineer so that's what i'll be i'd be like covered in wires and stuff and like have wee -woo -woo, like filters around me and stuff like that that yeah and have a theremin for sure oh man like a little space station back there and then like yeah but then you can't get blood on on that expensive equipment so maybe you're in some sort of, of like plastic cage that just is sheltered and nothing ever awesome. gets in never gets in i feel like you answered that um, quickly, and also I feel like maybe your 13-year-old self had at some point been like, "What would I be? I I would I want to be that." No, I didn't. You know, I didn't think about it now. And like, I know if if they added electronics or synth to their band, old school Guar fans would be going like, "This is bullshit. Get this out of here," because that's oh. how they're very they're very they're like purists. These Guar people, I'll tell you. They, they want they want two guitars, a bass, and a drummer. That's but it. there's there's some of it. It seems like there's a period where they were that it could have gone into kind of a more of a British metal Hawkwind kind of vibe, like just really laying down like one longer riff instead of like uh, a lot of dun -dun, dun -dun 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 -dun, you know. Yeah, that would be awesome if if they grooved on like on a riff Hawkwind style or like Noi or something. That would be oh yeah. I would love to. I would love to hear Guar go into that direction. But 
as you learn from this movie, they're just like some Virginia ass motherfuckers. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Which you don't think of when you think of Guar, but they really are like like the drummer has a straight up like act like it's you know, he's he, he has like a southern accent. I know, he's so sweet. He's yeah, and he's very emotional and these guys cry like they no yes. other. If you want to see hard dudes cry, this is a movie for you. Yes, agreed. Well, I ask this question every episode. Uh, on a scale from one to ten, with one being the lowest and ten being the highest, how many gallons of cuttlefish goo do you give this film? I give this film 6.5 gallons of cuttlefish goo. It's a really good film. I wasn't bored for one second. I learned a whole lot. It made me feel a lot of things. Uh, it could have had improvement, and that's really good for me for a music documentary. Okay, six point five is that's that's high for a music documentary for me. Like I said, it's so rare for me to enjoy one of these things, and I did actually enjoy this all the way through. I just wish there was more stuff, and it was it's a Herculean task telling this story. So good for the filmmakers; they did a good job. Uh, was, this is amazing. Thank you so much, Shocky. It was really fun. It's good to see you. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, this is a great uh, project you're doing, and, and, and all, all the luck to you. I can't wait to listen to every minute of every episode. Thank you for listening to Revolutions Per Movie. We release new episodes every Thursday, so be sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. And if you've enjoyed this, it would mean a lot to me if you would rate and review it as well. You can follow us on social media at Revolutions Per Movie. And also find out more information about our various guests in the episode show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye.